Well, good morning, family. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Have you um have you ever had a setback in your life? Yeah, I hear mumbling. Absolutely. Who hasn't? Had a defeat. How do you bounce back? Or do you? There are a lot of people that, especially if they've had big ones, big setbacks, big defeats, that never get over it. They get stuck. They, they get stuck in their defeat. They get defined by their defeat. And, uh, and they don't know how to bounce back. Today, we're going to talk about what to do after defeat. What to do, how to bounce back after a failure or a defeat in your life. And, uh, and we're taking a look at a portion of scripture in, uh, in Joshua. As we've been doing this study through the book of Joshua, uh, the children of Israel are in a season of conquest. God has provided for them and given them a promise that he is going to, he has given them the promised land, that this land was for them. And that they could, in fact, take the land that is promised to them. And I'm sure after the first battle that they won handedly, they didn't lose one soldier. They had an amazing, uh, you know, victory. Well, I'm sure they kind of got it in their mind, well, this is easy. And, uh, and it was easy. The problem was they forgot that it had been God who actually gave them the victory. God made it easy for them, and they had not recognized that it was God who had done that for them. And so they end up making a decision the next time that they could do it on their own. And, uh, and the failure was that they not only forgot to pray, but they let their pride take over and they decided that they could in fact now win without really getting God's direction. And as a result of that, they had their only defeat. And, uh, and they lost, and they lost some people's lives in the, in the process. So... Joshua goes to prayer, and he prays, but it isn't a good prayer. You know you can have good prayers, and you can have bad prayers. And Joshua had, he prayed a prayer that was basically a complaint. He was blaming God for the defeat. He was telling God, God, you, you have, uh, you know, you, you brought us basically into this place, and now we're defeated. We'd have been better off not coming in in the first place. And he uses um, really accusatory language to God. The problem was their defeat wasn't because of God. Their defeat was because of they had sin in the camp. They had disobeyed God. And God had told them that they were not to take of the spoils of the battle of Jericho that they had had. And instead, they were to give it all to the work of the Lord. Now, what they didn't know was that first battle, God wanted all the spoils, but the rest of the battle, he was going to give them all the spoils. But now, Joshua is whining and complaining. And so, today I want to share with you what to do after defeat. And I have nine points. I never have nine points. <laughs> so we will be moving quickly um, through our study. But, um, but there are nine things that I see I, I want to pull out of this chapter. Now, 
God is, they are on a conquest. And what we see is that this, as they come into this battle that they're going to, to, to be fighting in chapter 8, they had lost the battle. And there was a man named Achan who, in fact, stole the goods. That wasn't. He saw what he wanted and he took it instead of giving it to the Lord. And the, the end result of that was the destruction of him and his family. And it's severe. And as we look at this story in, in Joshua, what we discover is that there is some battles that go on and you see that, like, in fact, they're annihilating an entire city. And what we get in this, in fact, you, you, as you're wa- listening to it and as you're reading it, you're thinking, wow, this is pretty severe, and it really is. And it reminds us of other places in the Bible where there are times when there's severe judgment, but not all places. And the, the, what we get in the story Some have said it this way. Sometimes God operates by principle, not by pattern. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes God operates by principle, not by pattern. The principle is that when they sin, death enters into camp. Death is a result of sin. And we see that in the scriptures. It talks about, you know, temptation and then sin. And sin, have, having when it gets full, it results in death. And the death principle comes into our lives by sin. At times, as God is showing us, he wants everybody to know how powerful sin is negatively into our lives. And so we see the principle... And not the pattern. An example of that is in the New Testament. You have Ananias and Sapphira in the fifth chapter of Acts. And they are bringing, you know, uh, gifts to the church, to the people who are in need, giving to the poor. And they hold back some of it. And holding it back was not the problem. God never even asked them to give it in the first place that way. The problem was they lied and they tried to deceive the people thinking that they had given all so that they would get a, a lot of accolades. And, and because they lied to the people and they lied to God, the Bible says they were struck dead. Now, I want to ask you, are you glad that if a person lies today or deceives today, they're not struck dead? Are you glad? See, there is a principle, but it's not a pattern. And sometimes God does it so that we all are aware of and we learn from that. And that's what happened in that early church. Everybody became aware and, you know, of, uh, of the, the power of sin and what it can do and, uh, and fearful of God. They became, uh, in a healthy way, uh, a fear of God that, you know, we need to obey him and so forth. Those are good patterns in our life and they're principles. But he doesn't, in fact make into a pattern. And, and we're grateful in many cases for that. But the principle still stays the same. And that's what we see in this story as well. So what happened? Joshua's praying. He's got this, he's, you know, he's on the, the move, if you would, um, with God. God, you, you know, we shouldn't even came. And he's complaining and whining. And God tells him, get up. That's the first thing he tells them. He says, get up from the ground. In other words, he was kneeling down or, or laying out before God. And he's praying. And God says, stop praying. It's the only time I see in the scripture that God actually told him to stop praying. And he told him, stop praying. And then he told him, get the sin out. He told him, you know, go find out who did this and, and deal with it. Deal with the sin. In our own life, that is the case. See, Oftentimes we are defeated, not always, but there, when there are times that our defeat is a result, a direct result of our own sin. We've caused the problem because we have sinned. We've done it our way. We've destroyed things in our life. When we're the problem because of sin, the first thing you do 
is you get it out of your life. You address it. You deal with it in your life. You confront it in your own life severely and strongly. And then you go back to prayer. And that's what he does. Okay? So they go and they find the guy who did it and his family. They deal with it. And then now you see Joshua, he is back in communication with God. And God speaks to him. And, uh, and here it is in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid nor dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, his land. Now why does he say, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed? Because they are. That's why. Because they are afraid and they are dismayed. And God doesn't really give them a psychological answer of how not to be afraid and how not to be dismayed. He just tells them don't. Now we find God doing that over and over in the scripture. In fact, someone has counted that there are 365 do not be afraid or fear nots in the Bible. That's not counting the dismays, don't worry, don't be anxious, all of those as well. God is continually telling us don't be fearful, don't be afraid. In fact, Sometimes when God says it, he just adds this, because I'm with you. But he's always telling us not to be afraid. He doesn't want you to live in a constant state of fear. And how you live in that constant state of fear has to do on, uh, with what you think about and what you meditate on. See, they had just had defeat. What are they thinking about? Well, they're thinking about the defeat. They're thinking about the, the fear is if we go, try to go back, they're going to defeat us again. We're going to get annihilated. They're going to wipe us out. They're thinking about all the negative things because of experience. And the thing about approaching God, we do not, we do not live simply out of our experiences. We live according to his word, you see. And so their experience has caused them to meditate. And what they meditate on causes them to have the, emotion, the emotional connection of fear in your life. And that happens to us as well. What you think about, what you meditate on, will affect your emotional makeup. It will affect your faith. And so what you have to do is you have to make a change in what you're thinking. And that's actually what God is going to do for them. He's going to redirect their thinking so that they will not live in the emotional connection of fear, but of faith. And you and I have to make a shift. Now, some of us, our brains have been programmed Fear is the way we operate. We operate in fear because we're always thinking about the next negative thing that is about to happen to us. Whether it's going to or not, it's where we live our life and we've trained our brain that way. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so, the issue is, can you shift your thinking? And the answer is yes. Yes. It has to do with your meditation. It has to do with what you think and what you determine to put your thoughts on and your mind on. Because when those negative thoughts, you have, to re, you have to retrain your brain. When those negative thoughts come, you have to immediately shut those down. And you do it in several ways. One of the ways that is very uh, effective is quoting the promises of God, quoting the Bible. If you have the, the word of God in your heart, that is one of the ways you can make that shift fairly easily. But, if, but you can stop. You can begin to think about good things, about what God has, the things that God wants for us. And we can also operate in faith. I want you to notice what happens in verse 2. It says, so God tells them not to be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I've given you the king of Ai. I'm giving you the city. Those are positive things. 
He says, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Remember the victory? That's coming too. So God's given a picture, but then he says, only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty. That's King James Version for plunder for yourselves. So God just says, he says, listen, you remember last time, I, all that stuff that you got from the victory was mine? This time it's yours. I want you to get a, big, I want you to get a positive picture of what God is wanting to do. It also makes you kind of think back to um, Achan who sinned because if he would have just waited a day, he would have got more than what he got by stealing from God. If he'd have just waited. And what we find further is each time now, all nine times that they have battles, they're able to get the plunder themselves that comes to them. And God was teaching a principle. See, they, they, you, when you're trusting God, you don't know everything God is doing. God doesn't even uh, tell us everything he's doing. I think that's his privilege to do that. He wants us to operate in faith. And so, the, he didn't tell them, hey, listen, you're going to have nine more battles and you're going to get to take all the rest, but I get the first one. I think it would have been easier on him to do that, but God didn't do that. He tells them no. He just tells them what to do. He tells them this time you give. And you operate in faith even though you fully don't know. And there's a principle there of, of tithing. They were given, um, the Bible, had, they, they had already been taught by Moses, that God had demanded the tithe. It was 10% of their earnings, and they were to keep the other nine. And it was called the first fruits of giving, and they were to bring it before the Lord. And this is reinforcing that in their life story as they're living out their life, that God gets first. And the story of Achan's sin shows the severity of them disobeying God. And so now... God is showing them. He's giving them faith. You, you were defeated. You were defeated because you didn't obey me. Now I'm going to show you victory. And when you get victory, here's the vision I want you to have. This is what I want you to start thinking about. I don't want you to start thinking about going into the city and being defeated again and running for your life. Get that mentality, get that thought out of your mind. I know it's been circulating there because that's what happened. This is what I want you to replace it with. You're going to defeat the enemy. You're going to kill the king and all the spoils are coming to you. That's what I want you to start thinking. That's what I want you to start processing. I want you to get the fear out and I want it to be replaced by faith. That's what's going on in this story. And so God is telling them, get, get the faith going. Get the faith going. Get the vision. That's the fifth one. Get the vision. God is not against you having, by the way, he's against you hoarding. He's against you stealing his stuff. But God is for you. He wants to bless you. I want you to get God's vision. And then six, get God's plan. Get God's plan. God tells them, he gives them a plan. Lay an ambush for the city behind, uh, behind it. And Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them saying, behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and, I and all the people who are with me will uh, approach the city, and it will come about when they come out against us as, at the first that we shall flee before them, and they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, for they will, will say they are fleeing before us at, at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand and it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord you shall do see I have commanded you so God gives them 
a plan. He gives them a strategy for victory. And after they've been defeated, he gives them a strategy for victory. How does that fit into our lives? God wants to give you a strategy. And most people, I, I believe most Christians never stop to get God's strategy when it comes to the battles that we face. Oftentimes, here's our strategy. God help. That's our strategy. And, and although that's not a bad prayer, that's a good one. God help is a good prayer. The wise warrior, spiritual warrior, understands that God wants to direct us and give us strategy when we're, in fact, dealing with the battles and dealing with the conquests and the, the dealing with the problems that we face in our life. That oftentimes we face problems that God wants to give us a, a spiritual strategy, and I say spiritual strategy, of how to deal with it. I, I can tell you in my family many times, this is God has given me this strategy. It isn't always the same. Because every battle is different, so there's different strategy. First battle was Jericho. They just were to walk. That was a strategy. Walk, keep your mouth shut. Walk, keep your mouth shut. Blow the trumpets. Then walk, 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 shout. That was a strategy. It, it didn't make sense, it, but it worked. It worked really well. That was a strategy. Other times... God gives different, this is a different strategy. This, this is a good strategy. They, it, what they do is they put, they put most of the army in the back, hidden away, and then they bring a, a smaller part in fr to the front of the city. They entice them to come out after them. They act like they're losing the battle and they run. And as they run out, the, other, the rest of the army gets, goes into the city and defeats it. It works exactly as, as planned. God gave him a strategy. I've had times in, in, uh, in my life, for instance, when there's been severe issues that my family has gone through. Um, one of the strategies that God has given me is, is to fast and pray. It just, that's my, you know, to fast and pray. Sometimes I'll do all night prayer times where I'm just fasting and praying for my family and there's been severe things and needed breakthrough and and that was the strategy. Other times, this, you know, the strategy is, is worship and praise and, and, uh, and to quote God's word and to use the word of God, the scripture, the, the weapons of our warfare, um, you know, aren't carnal. But we take the sword of the spirit and we use the word of God and we use the different strategies. And what that means is that as you're praying, you're also listening. And you might not, you might say, well, I don't really hear God's voice very clearly, but, but as you're, you're praying and you're listening to God for strategy, God will give you a sense of what to do. Go with it. Unless it's unbiblical, go with it. You feel like you ought to do this, or I have to pray this, or I have to, you know, I have to stand in the gap for this. It is the strategy that God gives that brings breakthrough in our life. I was listening. To one lady uh, was sharing with me how years ago when she had come to Christ, um, she just had this dynamic conversion and Jesus really got a hold of her. But she was dating this guy who was a non-believer. And she had fallen in love with him. They, they were going to get married. And he didn't really want to have anything to do with the Lord. And so... She would try to share with them. He wasn't responding. And finally, she realized, you know, the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. And she wanted to serve Jesus above everything. So she was willing to give him up, but she was heartbroken. And as she was praying, she felt, she, you know, it wasn't like she heard a voice, but she felt or had this impression that she was going to pray. And she, in fact, what she said to the Lord is this, I'm going to fast and pray until he gets saved. And so she did. And she fasted and she prayed. In fact, I think it was all night the first night. And she had prayed and she kept fasting and praying. And after the third day, and by the way, she did this 
saying, I'm not going to talk to him. I've already done my talking. If God's going to save him, God's going to have to do it. It was one of those kinds of things. I'm not even, you know, I'm done. And she just fasted and prayed and fasted and prayed and for breakthrough, read scripture, and just kept doing it. And after three days, he had a radical conversion, and it had nothing to do with her or her church or anything else. Just had she, he connected and bumped into another guy who shared the gospel with them, and his radical conversion not only saved him, he eventually became a pastor. Breakthrough, spiritual breakthrough. We just oftentimes don't understand, and so we live out our lives kind of, you know, the only strategy is God help. And yet there are times when God actually wants to use us and direct us in spiritual battle, and we need to learn how how that operates and how to make that work in our life. So we need to get a plan from God. And so, and, and even in this plan, this plan, it, plans don't always, like part of this plan just totally makes sense. That's, that seems like military strategy, right? But then he says, burn the city. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem even like a good idea. If we could destroy them and keep the city, I mean, it takes a lot to build a city. We could use that. You know, there's a, there's a lot of resources, a lot of energy, a lot of, you know, sometimes years and years of work, generations of work to build a city. Why burn it? Well, in burning it, it caused the enemy to completely be overwhelmed. And when they burnt the city, the enemy pr- pretty much just gave up. And so God sees things and knows things that we don't. And the scripture says that they, you know, that then it, he tells them what to do and he, they actually go do it. So verse 9 through 16 is a rehearsal of what they do. They get up in the morning, they, you know, take part of the army, they put it in the back, in the back side of the city. You know, Joshua comes up, they chase after him. And the scripture actually says in verse 16, it says, so all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. So the strategy works. Joshua comes, they look, and they see, we can take these guys. They have, the, they, they have the same basic problem that Israel had in the first place, and they think, we can take these. There's no problem. We've done it before. Let's go after them. And they took everyone, all the soldiers, every male, uh, adult male in the city left to go after them. Predictable. Predicted by God. And that's why it's so important. See, God recognizes, he knows what the devil and the kingdom of darkness is going to do before they do it. God does. That's why the devil has no... No chance of winning. It's not, it, you know, people think of like, you know, God and the devil. They're two parts of one, you know, kind of good, evil, they're equal. It's not like that at all. Devil was made by God. God is omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful, all the almighty God. The devil is limited, very limited. He cannot see the future. He can try to predict it, but he can't know it. He doesn't have the power that, that God has. And so God sees what the devil's going to do. He knows, his, he knows not only his strategy, but he knows actually what he's going to do. And, and he's, it's predictable. And one of the things the devil, or the kingdom of darkness, always does, it always overplays its hand. And we see that. The, the, and, and we don't, we, when we're, in the battle, oftentimes when the enemy is coming and pressing against us, we don't recognize it. We don't recognize it that, 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 that he, is, he is overplaying his hand. Oftentimes we just feel defeated. And, uh, and what God does is he, that's why the Bible says that all things work together for good to those who love God. That God turns things around that look like defeat. Even at the most severe place. I was um, thinking of Jim Elliott, how 
uh, many would know his story because it's been written about and the story's been told over and over again and somewhere around 50, 60 years ago, it's been a long time, and he went to a jungle tribe to preach the gospel and was killed. He was martyred. And, uh, and the devil went to destroy. But the devil overplays his hand. Even in those kinds of places where he, he killed, they, they killed him. But Jim Elliott's story has, because of his death, has won thousands and thousands and thousands of people to the kingdom. In fact, the guy who threw the spear to kill him became a pastor, ministering the gospel in, on the tribes around. And the tribes got saved. The whole tribe got saved. And then hundreds of others. They're just amazing results of that man who laid down his life for the gospel and the devil overplayed his hand. We hear of Jim Elliott's quotes. We would have never heard his quotes or his stories. Excuse me. If we would have never heard all those things if it wasn't that the devil overplayed his hand. If the devil was smart, he would have just kind of had him beat up a little bit and pushed out of the place. If he was smart. But he doesn't. He works, operates out of his hatred. It was Jim Elliott who said... He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Have you thought that one through? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's what he did. He gave his life. He couldn't keep his life. We're all going to die. But he's gained what he cannot lose. I've seen that in our own life. I've seen it many. I could tell you many, many stories. But I was, this morning, it kind of reminded me, because Cindy was sitting in the front row, so it reminded me of the story where the devil over, but we were young pastors and uh, with a young family, and we were just getting going, and, and, uh, and all of a sudden, our daughter uh, was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And the doctor said, um, by the time she was a teenager, she'd be in a wheelchair, and she would not have a long life. And, uh, and you know, of course, that devastation. But the devil overplayed his hand. Because Jesus came to Cindy and healed her. She had a miraculous healing. And it was so miraculous, it got known. It got picked up by some Christian magazines. It got out on the, you know, on the... Uh, the airwaves, we didn't have the internet at the time, um, and we were invited to go on national TV and tell the story. So what was really a devastation and an attack upon us and our family, we're on, Carol and I are traveling, and I remember sitting on one uh, Christian TV program, you know, I'm, my time to shine. She's sitting on my lap, and she reaches up and picks my nose. <laughs> so it just kind of ruined the whole thing. But God has a way. And, and we forget that. And the strategy that we need to operate under is, Lord, what do you have? What's your plan? What do you want me to do? So... They end up, and, and you read this story, and the rest of the story up until, well, in verse 26. Verse 25 says, it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000 of all, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. What's the biblical principle? Get rid of all your enemies completely. You, know, you might be going, well, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. I have this one bad habit. Well, it's more than a bad habit. It, I know it's a sin. But, you know, it doesn't make me a bad person. And I would say, well, you're, we're all bad people, right? Who's, who's righteous but Jesus? That's not the issue. The issue is that should not be in your life. 
you, have to you need to destroy all those things that need to be out of your life. You don't leave anything left in. Anything that you leave in will grow and become destructive in your life. Sin is destructive, and we saw that, the severity of it. We see God operating, and this is when, when, when uh, you know, the family of Achan was destroyed, that was, that, that was out of God's, you know, God was operating in a moral character, in his moral character, in his ju and judging righteous judgment. I'm thankful for his grace and his mercy. But don't let the fact that God forgives you and cleanses you and that you and I don't receive immediate judgment for our actions. We thank God for that, but that doesn't mean the actions weren't bad as they are, as the Bible says. Get rid of it. You have sin in your life, destroy it. And don't allow it to have, a, have place in your life. One couple was telling me how they had, you know, after they had come to Christ, they, they were living in sin. They were living in sexual sin. And uh, as they grew in the Lord, they recognized that that was sin. And they did the right thing. They determined and they made this, the decision that they were not going to have sexual relationship until they were married. They made the right choice. They got the sin out. Let me tell you, when you live in sin, it affects you in other areas of your life. And the first thing that you need to do is you need to get all of it out. And the way that you do that is that you approach, you approach the last thing that, that you had done or not done that was against God. Because when we sin without repentance, we get stuck spiritually. Do you understand? It's because of repentance, whether it's something we shouldn't have done or something we should have done. Some of you have not done something that God has asked you to do, and you know it was God, and you haven't taken that step to go forward, and you're stuck spiritually. You wonder why you're not growing. Listen, if you're in a place where you're praying and your prayers seem to be bouncing off the ceiling, in fact, it causes you not even to pray so much anymore, what's the problem? Well, the problem is there's a place you need to go back to and deal with it in your heart. The Achan sin was yesterday. They, they still had to go back and deal with it. You can't just say, well, that's the past. If you don't deal with the past, the past will plague you. It isn't that God won't forgive you, but if you ignore it, it will simply be there as a deterrent for you to grow in the things of the Lord in your own life. So stop and, and go back and, and see, was there something, Lord revealed to me, is there something that has, you know, has to be dealt with? I was talking to one lady who, in fact, has had, uh, has had a series of health issues that have been major in her life. And at one point, she just didn't know what to do. And as she was praying, God revealed to her something that she knew and had suppressed. She had unforgiveness in her life. Someone had hurt her severely. It's understandable that she had something against them. But the point was that that was a sin that had caused her to be open to the enemy's continual attacks in her life. And when she forgave, God immediately healed her. And I remember the, I remember the time, in fact, that that had, had happened, and, and she was completely healed. One of the things she had was, was, um, she, was she was diabetic and had to take insulin every day. And she was instantly healed from that. Where is it? If that's a place, you just need to deal with it. And she didn't have to go and, you know, have a big, big deal with the person. She just needed to ask for forgiveness and determine in her heart, say, Lord, I forgive them in Jesus' name. And I will not hold it against them anymore in their life. 
And for her, it didn't mean having a, a renewed relationship with that person who would probably hurt her again. But it was not to hold any, um, any desire for any retribution. It was over. That's just... Don't let that stuff grow in your life. So, it says that, you know, so get rid of the enemy completely. And, uh, and then, and I've run out of time. Let me just pass over these real quick. Um, the Bible says in verse 30, Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. Now, the significance of that is they, Moses had, uh, had had them go to two mountainsides. They were with a small valley. There are two mountainsides or hillsides. One is Ebal and one was, was, um, was Gerizim. And, um, and so they, uh, they were to pronounce on Mount Gerizim, they would pronounce the blessings. If they obeyed God, and they would pronounce the blessings. So you had half of the, the people of Israel on one mount, the other half on the other, and they're pronouncing. One group is going, God will bless you, and he'll keep you, and, he, and all the promises of God and the blessings of God. The other side said, if you don't obey God, these are the curses. And they're yelling out the curses. Now, what side do you want to be on? I want to be on the side that's yelling out the blessings. But either one are important, Right? The blessings and the cursings. What is happening here is after they have victory, they go up to the Mount of Cursing, not the Mount of Blessing, and they built an altar and sacrifice there. And, and they write the, on it the, um, the commands of Moses. So why are they doing it on that mount? I, wouldn't you have chosen the Mount of Blessing? Let's build an altar on the Mount of Blessing because God has blessed us. No, they go to the Mount of Cursing because of this. Because the blood, the sacrifice, cleanses us from all our sin and destroys the curse. See, remember the place of curses are covered by the blood of Jesus. Remember the place of curses are covered by the blood of Jesus. It says, and after he read all the words of the law of the blessing and the cursing according to all that is written in the book of the law. They read it. And then verse 35 says, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones, and strangers who were living among the people. And here's the last point. Get the word of God in you and in your family. Get the word of God in you and in your family. This is a place to live in victory in your life. And congratulations, we got through nine points. <laughs> I want to close in prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We are going to, for those who want to stay, you're welcome. Um, the services come to an end. Um, and you're welcome to leave, but if you would like to stay for communion, then just stay where you are, and the ushers will be handing out communion in a second. I wanted to also say this. The blood of Jesus Christ is what gives you a new start. Whatever de defeats and de destruction that has happened in your life in the past can be completely wiped out and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you are away from God, if you are not a follower of Jesus, whether you're watching online or here in the building, today you, it's your day to become a follower of Jesus. Today you say, Jesus, come into my life. Cleanse me from all of my sin. I believe that you died for my sins and you were buried and you conquered death. I ask you to help me to follow you. I believe you are the Savior of the world, and I accept you as my Savior today. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed that, please let us know. Um, on, go to our website and, and, and inform us that you said yes to Jesus. We'll help you get started in your walk with God.
Let's close. We're going to go to worship, and uh, ushers are going to hand out if you want to stay for communion. Receive it, and we'll take it together, okay? I owe all to you, Jesus. It's all yours. All my love, my adoration. It's all yours, Jesus. For what you've done. So today, as we... um, Take the unleavened bread that represents his body. He said, this is my body which is given for you. And we're reminded of the sacrifice he made in his body. The crucifixion, the beatings, the crown of thorns, the the spear, the agony of, of the cross. He did it for us. And so as we uh, break this bread, we're reminded of what Jesus did, his love. Lord, thank you. We didn't deserve it. Thank you. We receive in Jesus.
top. That represents the blood of Jesus, the new covenant of his blood. The new covenant. The blood of Jesus continually washes us from all of our sin. So that we can stand before him right now knowing that our sin is not separating us from God. Cleansed. Thank you, Lord. Your blood cleanses us from all of our sin. Have a wonderful week.